Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapters 10, chapters 10 and 11. Matthew chapters 10 and 11. <clears throat> I surely appreciate the way our choir responded to Chuck and Layla. And incidentally, I understand those tapes are available. Brother Buster, where are you? Is that right? Those tapes will be available tomorrow. The tapes of the choir singing last Thursday night are available. Now, Brother Chuck did something. He said he can't do this everywhere he goes because lots of times the choir won't stay with him. But we requested that they sing all the specials that they sang during the revival meeting, and they sang all of them Thursday night. We had a glorious service Thursday night, and that all that music is on tape for you. And it's, it sounds, I'm telling you, Brother Johnny passed me a little note and said, uh, move over, First Baptist Church, Dallas. The Glendale Tabernacle Choir is coming. <laughs> they did a good job, and we were so proud of them and thankful for them. God bless you. Now I want to get very serious with you tonight in this passage of Scripture, beginning in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. And then we're going to read some from chapter 11. <coughs> May we pray together. Our Father, it's been good to be in God's house all day today. We thank you for the afterglow and the melody that lingers on in our hearts of praise to the King. Tonight, we know that unless the Holy Spirit does the work of conviction, all of our words will be full of sound and fury signifying nothing. So we ask that the Holy Spirit would take the word and drive it into our hearts. Help us to know that you love us, but you hate sin. And there is a judgment coming. May the Holy Spirit bring conviction. And I just pray that not anybody that is here without Jesus will leave without Jesus tonight. In his name, amen. Matthew chapter 10. I want to begin with verse 30. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. You've heard that said. Jesus said that. He knows how many hairs you've got. Some of you don't have very many. He knows that. Some of you have a lot. He knows that. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. You're very, very important to the Lord. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men... Him will I confess also before my Father who is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be... A man's foes shall be those of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. 
He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple. Verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Now will you keep your finger there and turn over to chapter 11, beginning with verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities in which most of the mighty deeds, mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now there are two sections of scripture that we deal with tonight. One is personal, one is corporate. One deals with individuals, the other deals with nations and cities and societies and civilizations. They're both interlocked because civilizations and nations and societies are made up of individuals. We cannot think that God would bring judgment on Tyre and Sidon without bringing judgment on the individuals that were there. We cannot think that God would bring judgment on America without judgment on the individuals who live in America and make up America. And so these two scripture passages are very interlocked. They are part of the two-chapter composite in which Jesus was talking about witnessing. In chapter 9, the last part, he said he saw the multitudes and his heart was moved with compassion because they were as sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest plenteous, plenty of harvest, plenty of work to do, plenty of people that need to be reached, plenty of people whose lives can be changed, plenty of people who can make up a nucleus that could save this generation, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would thrust forth, send forth laborers into the harvest. And the very next breath he calls his disciples together and it's almost as if Peter and John and James and Bartholomew and Thomas and Thaddeus and the others would say, Lord, please use me. You told us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth labors. Here we are, Lord, use us. And so the Lord begins to send them forth. He gives them power, the power of God upon their lives. Now this particular commission, it was a commission for his disciples to go out and preach the gospel to the Jews because Jesus came to the Jews but the Jews received him not. But to them he gave, to them who did receive him, he gave power to, to become the sons of God, even to them that believe upon his name. And so Jesus is sending these disciples out and he gives them power. Folks, when he sends you and me out, he gives us power. As you go, you will have the power. You don't have the power till you go. You don't have the authority to get up and speak until you get up and speak. Scared to death. Lots of times, when I've stood up to preach, I'd like to run out the back door instead of get up to preach. It's hard. I've heard people say, well, I can't go witnessing. I'm scared. I don't know what to say. You won't know till you go. That's what Jesus was saying to them. 
I'm going to give you power as you go. And God will use you. He'll use you to touch sick people and bring healing. There's none of this faith healing sick lines in this passage. He's not talking about having a television ministry where you hit people on the head and knock them down. Somebody catches them, drags them out, and they say they're healed. It isn't like that at all. Jesus said, I'll give you the power, the authority to go and reach them for Christ. And when there's a sickness that is not unto death, God will help you and you'll bring healing to them. God will use you. God will use you. I believe in divine healing. Let no mistake be made. I've known some people who were divinely healed. And I think I've been participant in it many times in my own body and life. I believe in it, but I don't believe in the divine healers that make merchandise over it and send out little handkerchiefs and get people to pray. You've prayed over this handkerchief. You take it. I'll send it to you in the mail. You give me $10 and I'll give you a handkerchief and you can put it on some part of your body that's sick. I don't believe that's scriptural. Now, that doesn't mean I don't believe in faith healing because I do. I believe in divine healing. And I've known some people, there may be some very people in this very room tonight, I've known some folks in Bowling Green who got healed from very serious illnesses just by God. I'm not against doctors, I thank God for them, for medical science. And I think a person is foolish when we have medical science available in a day like this, we don't use it. We need to use it to bring healing to the areas where there's a need. But that's not really the point that is addressed by Jesus. He's saying, I'm sending you out. And I want you to go to the lost cities of the tribes of Israel and bring them to Jesus. And then, here's what he says in the context with this. He's talking about witnessing. He's talking about you and me who are his witnesses. We just put ourselves in the place of Peter, James, and John, and Bartholomew, and those others tonight. And let's see what he's saying. He's saying, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I deny also before my Father which is in heaven. In context, this has two meanings. Number one, the witness himself must confess Christ. We have to confess him. We have to acknowledge him. We have to be willing to open our mouth and recognize that he is the Lord. Jesus didn't only give us a life to live, he gave us a tongue to speak. And God wants everyone who is a believer to confess Christ as Savior in the factories, in the school, on the job, wherever we are. God wants us to confess Christ. What a shame that so many church members, maybe Christians, maybe backslidden Christians, maybe careless Christians, but church members who curse and swear and tell dirty jokes and use four-letter words out there when Jesus said, you must confess me before men and I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father which is in heaven. And this has two meanings. Number one, eternally. But number two, immediately. Right now, you and I can get the guarantee of God's well done upon us when we stand for Christ. And over in heaven, Jesus is standing there before the Heavenly Father and saying, Look, I want to give him some more authority. I want to give him some more power because he's confessing my name. He's not being involved in the way the world lives. He's not doing what all the world does. He's different. He's living for Christ down there on the earth. And I'm going to give him a little bit more authority, more power. Holy Spirit, fill him. And the Holy Spirit fills us as we need it and as we go. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, 
Him will I also confess before my Father, but whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And so when we go out in the world, in the workaday world, you see Jesus told us as we go to witness, there's no exception to that. When you're hammering nails in the business, witness. When you're out there selling goods over the counter, be a witness. Dress right, look right, smell right, be right, be what God wants you to be. And when all the other cronies come along and tell these old off-color jokes and filthy things, just stand there. Walk away if you can. If you need to, rebuke them, but don't be involved in it. Confess Christ. Make Him known as a, as a living entity in your life, somebody who means something to you. And then, the second part of this, this scripture, this second uh, address of this passage or application of this passage has to do with what we're to say to people that we witness to. Is it enough to say, now you just walk down the aisle, get yourself baptized, and then you can do what you want to do. Or we go into somebody's home and we witness to them about Jesus and they confess Christ there in the room. Then we need to follow that up and say, you need to confess Christ openly. You need to go down to the church. See, I often say to somebody that gets saved, we could get a microphone, go all over town and say, hey everybody, here's uh, Donnie, I just got saved. Or here's Ronnie, I just got saved. Or here's Mary, I just got saved. I want everybody to know about it. Well, that's good, but that isn't what Jesus tells us to do. He tells us to go down to the church where the Christians are and identify ourselves with them. Take the stigma upon yourself and say, I'm one of you now. I'm one of you. I've been saved. I'm God's child. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. Now notice verse 34. He says, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. Now there are lots of folks that think, you know, those Christians just are just going to bring peace everywhere they go. That isn't really true. Sometimes we are divine disturbers. The most divine disturber that ever hit this earth was Jesus. Everywhere he went, people got in, into, they, they divided. Some group liked him, some group didn't like him. Because his righteousness exceeded the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, it went beyond legalism. Now we have some standards in our school. Nothing makes me sicker in heart than to hear some girl that wants to wear pants and jeans all the time, but she just wears dresses because she's in our school. And then she gets out and criticizes others for wearing pants. When really in her heart, she's wicked. She really wants to do that, but she's bringing others down so she can sort of elevate herself. That's wicked. That's wrong. Now, I believe in standards. I believe girls ought to dress like girls. You know I believe that. Women ought to dress like women. I believe that with all my heart. But nobody has a right to look down their nose at somebody else because they're not like they are. That's wrong. That's wicked. That's sinful. Now, Jesus said, he said, don't think that I've come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. There's going to be a division in your homes. There's going to be a division among your friends. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're not going to be able to do the things you used to do. You're not going to live like you used to live. You're going to be different. God's going to do something in your life. And God wants to use you. 
Notice he says, I came to set a man at variance against his father and a daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's foes shall be those of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Now all through that section, the Lord Jesus is telling us it costs to be a disciple. There's a price for discipleship. There are demands for discipleship. Now he says, if you love the status quo more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. Now I'm looking eyeball to eyeball at you. I love you. This is a hard sermon to preach. But I want to tell you. If you love it like it is, and you don't want to disturb anybody, that's most of the reason why people don't go witnessing. They don't want to disturb anybody. They don't want to disturb themselves. They don't want to disturb their family. They don't want to interrupt their schedule. They just want to do whatever they want to been doing all their lives, sitting here, just, just something. Now, if that's what you want, God, Jesus said, you're not worthy of me. Because if you're going to serve me, John 12, 26 says, he that serveth me, my father will honor. If you want the honor of Christ in your life, then you need to serve him. You need to be faithful to him. I've been interested in how Christians behind the Iron Curtain lived and served and behaved. So many of these have had to pay a severe price for their faith. Here in America, you can, quote, get saved, end quote, and go to church and get baptized and go to church on Sunday morning once in a while and go out and live like you want to live and nobody ever says much. That can't, that's not, that's abnormal. That's abnormal Christianity. That's not what Jesus taught us. He said when Jesus comes into your life, he makes you different. You have a new want to. You have a new desire. You have new ambitions, new motives, new goals. And if you think that you can be a Jesus man or Jesus woman, you can be saved, you can be God's child, and live like the world lives, you're not worthy of Jesus. He died on the cross for our sins. He who knew no sin actually took upon himself our sins. They stunk to high heaven. And when God looked down and saw all of our sins on Jesus, he turned his back. He couldn't look at it. And the Lord cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's because God hates sin. And when you and I live in a world that's filled with sin, and we, we wink at it, and we think it's not so bad, and we are settlers, and we, we just become inhabitants in the earth, and we do like everybody else does, and we talk like everybody else talks, and we laugh like they all do at the filthy filth that's going on in the world. And we close our eyes and we say, well, after all, if you can't lick them, join them. If you can't close the saloons, make it legal. After all, we gotta buy our meat and groceries and so on. Let's go to those stores that sell the beer when there are stores in town that don't sell it. You think I'm, you don't like that, do you? 
I like you, but you may not like me when we get through. Drugs, they're everywhere, so let's legalize them. One of the most disgusting articles I read the other day was the article that was, was trying to decide. Had some intelligent people, quote, intelligent people, end quote, together, and they were trying to put down on one side all on, of the ledger all the reasons why they ought to uh, keep drugs illegal, and then all the reasons why they ought to make it legal. And you know what the reason for making it legal was? So the government could get taxes on it. And they could control it a little bit better. I want to know who's controlling liquor. It's legal. Who's controlling beer with 10 million alcoholics in our nation? And 7 million other problem drinkers. They gave Jim Baker 45 years for taking the money from people. They gave the man that killed 27 kids on a bus in Kentucky, driving down the highway the wrong way, drunk on alcohol, they gave him 14 years. Is there anything fair about that? That's terrible. And then people say, well, you know, that's, that's all right. That's all right. It isn't all right. Now, God is going to bring judgment. The nucleus that has the ability to keep God from bringing that judgment are believers. A little cell here, a little cell there, a little group here, a little group here, a little group here. Do you know why Germany and Japan came to their knees in World War II? I believe it was because of some nucleus of praying godly men and women in America who beseeched the throne of God day and night. God looked down and heard the prayers. If we would read the untold stories of that war and know how dangerously near to defeat we came, we would have to know that God did it. God moved in and brought the nation together. We're not even together today. Couldn't win a war in Vietnam because our political leaders didn't think we ought to call it a war. It's just a little police action over there. Now, the burden is on individuals. The burden is not on the White House or on the Congress or on the Supreme Court. As disdainful as some of those laws may be and as distasteful as some of those decisions by the Supreme Court may be, the burden is on individuals who know Jesus as Savior. And Jesus said, if you don't follow me, close by me, walk with me, serve me, live for me, you're not worthy of me. Jesus never tried to pass legislation when he was here that I know of. Now, I'm not against it. I think we ought to sign every petition we can and try to keep America as free and godly as we can. But I want to tell you, Jesus never signed those petitions to get the Roman government to make it easier on Christian faith. But what he said to individual believers was, you live for me. And when you get before the councils, I'll tell you what to say. I'll be with you. I'll put my words in your mouth. And as you go out there, they'll persecute you. If you don't get any persecution, it's because you haven't stood firm. If you can live in a today's world like America is today and not suffer any kind of difficulties and not suffer any kind of persecutions,